Fast forward five years later, I don't have that staff. You know, before I had a whole lineup to talk to. Now I walk into a lineup and there's 10 people. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to episode two of the Scenic View podcast. We have a name this week. Uh, yes. Last week we didn't have a name. We're legit. I, I always thought that it's funny if we don't use the scenic view, the scenic route uh, as much as we should in marketing. I think it's a clever. He loves yeah. the he loves the puns. <laughs> yeah, it's funny how people mispronounce scenic. I, I think we kind of came up with that name, scenic. Yeah, scenic. We get that a lot. And then of course the credit union. The that's credit what, union. That's yeah. what people normally think we are. I need to get one of those mortgages. Um, <laughs> we get that call about once a week, and we get the scenic a lot. Scenic. Which does make sense if you think about it. It is the state employees. I like to feel like we are the State Employees Association of All <laughs> Employees Association. Like the Ohio State University. So last week we had our first episode and it was pretty well received, I think. We had a hundred and some listeners. That's a good start for us, I think. Hey, not bad. Our little toe is in the water. and Yeah, we got some kind words from some other podcast celebrities in Raleigh area. So that was nice. Yes, I told you I'm a, I'm a fangirl of uh, Brian and his Do Politics Better. Yeah. They, you think he was a little threatened? That's why he... That's no. I don't, I'm not thinking he was, no. Yeah, I, I don't think he was at all. No, I'm just kidding. So this last week, we talked a lot about the, the weight loss drug situation with the state health plan. Anything you want to recap on that? Has anything happened since then? Well, I mean, I think there's been a, around pharmaceuticals in general in Congress. There's been more activity than I've seen in a long time, just in the last few weeks. It's clear Senator Sanders, you know, as chairman of the health committee, he is calling pharmaceutical companies Onto the Senate floor. Yeah. He's giving them long lists of questions to to answer and things to fill out and wants them to come testify. And we've seen some of that testimony in, in mm-hmm. videos. Yeah, I sent you a video over the weekend. It was Representative, was it Ro Khanna? Yes, Ro Khanna. That was, a, that was a pretty important line of questioning about leukemia drugs. Right. I mean, I think that we're talking about the weight loss drug because, again, it gets a lot of attention. It's, it's considered more interesting to talk about. But at the end of the day, those weight loss drugs for a lot of people can improve their health in some cases, according to what we understand, might even save their life, depending on the condition they have. But definitely drugs for leukemia, things like that, there's no question. But the same issue is going on out there. So this week, uh, we got an interesting topic of Wendell Powell, our first vice president, is coming in to to talk to us about the the vacancy problems at our prisons. He was recently interviewed by a, a large profile type interview with the NC Health News. Yeah, that uh, was, was a great, great article. So that topic is seems like it's been in the news for five, six years uh, at their prison. It is not going away. I remember when, again, it was about five, six years ago now, when the murders happened at Pasquotank and the murder at Bertie mm-hmm. of correctional officers. The problem then was understaffing in those particular prisons, and they were at about 31 percent vacancy rate. We have prisons now that are at 67, 68 percent vacancy rate. So what we were dealing with then is just so much worse. This problem's not getting better. And Wendell has a unique perspective as a captain mm-hmm. at Harnett Correctional. So. He does. And and I think he's like so many folks that I've talked to who work in the prisons who aren't wanting to throw rocks at the administration. They understand that the Department of Adult Correction Administration is having to deal with an issue where they don't have any more tools left in the toolbox to mm-hmm. fix this problem unless they get a ton of money 
so that they can improve these hiring rates and more importantly, give those retention bonuses. This is why we were pushing so hard. It's not it's not just in the prisons that people needed retention bonuses so we could fix the vacancy problem. But certainly in the prison, it means life and death. Yeah, I know during the budget d- debate last year, we, we got a, a few side eyes when we asked about a large retention bonus. Right. But it's definitely it's definitely warranted if you look at the problem. I mean, yeah, people really need to take it seriously. It's it's not that we're just asking for a huge pile of money for these people. It's a huge problem that's putting people in danger. So let's listen to Wendell and our interview with him. And we'll come back at the end and talk a little bit about some fun topics, maybe. Perfect. We're now joined by Scenic First Vice President Wendell Powell, who is a captain at Harnett Correctional. Good afternoon, everyone. Thanks for coming on, Wendell. I appreciate it. Well, we're really happy to have you here. Can you tell us just a little bit about yourself, your background, how long you've been with the state? My name is Wendell Powell. I've been with the state 20 years. I've been an officer. I've been a sergeant. I was a lieutenant up to about five months ago, and now I've been promoted to captain. Awesome. So that's a long, long time to be in the prison system, huh? A lot of duties and a lot of long hours. (laughs) So, yeah, I mean, recently you were in the media in an article Mm -hmm. about the the terrible shortage in the prison system in terms of staff vacancies. Yes. Yeah, we we talked actually a couple of days just about some of the different issues that's been going on within Department of Adult Corrections and my take and my history and what I've what I have I have observed and just my thoughts overall on what we could do to fix it. So Rachel Crumpler is from uh, the North Carolina Health News uh, it's a website and mm-hmm. she interviewed Wendell as part of her story on the vacancy crisis I guess in the prison system specifically, she had some kind of updated numbers that we had not seen yet where the the vacancy rate is high as 69% in some of our prisons. It literally, yes. It's it's amazing. If you can imagine that, running a prison with 30% of the personnel. 16 of the state's 53 prisons have half or more of their, their positions vacant. Is that the case at your prison? Yes, Harnett Correctional is like the number two. I was at Granville, which was number one. Actually, they both been switching back and forth, but I think Grandma's still got them beat right now. Wow, <laughs> that's a that's a dangerous situation. It says here, fifty three hundred and thirty eight prison beds across twenty five facilities are closed because of that shortage. Where is all this stemming from, in your eyes? Well, it, this is a complicated issue. It's not just one particular thing. I mean, COVID exposed a lot of problems that we already were having, and then when people started realizing, hey, I can live off off less. With without having to work, and then the workforce shrunk even more, <laughs> it really became a, a bigger problem. And the crux of the story is kind of your your position now. You're kind of, you're. I mean, you're overseeing people and it, how hard it is to find people to fill those positions. Well, right? if you can imagine, a few years ago, I had a shift of 40-plus of officers, yeah. a bunch of sergeants. I mean, I could throw staff at any problem I had. Any type of emergency situation, it could be handled. Fast forward five years later, I don't have that staff. You know, before I had a whole lineup to talk to. Now I walk into a lineup and there's 10 people, mm-hmm. including me. Yeah, that's what the I see your quote here in the story. That's very impactful. Just the dangers facing the correctional officers each day. You know, day. but the question is, what makes John Q. Public care? You know, I think the the trick is to connect this horrible issue that y'all are going through. And other than people thinking, wow, 
that's terrible. I hate that people are in that kind of dangerous job in the first place, but to be put in that much more danger due to vacancies, other than just because they morally care, can you explain why the public should care? Well, I think that what the public doesn't always understand how it translates. With less staff, that means there's less supervision of offenders. There's less staff to make sure things are getting taken care of as far as offender care. Mm -hmm. With less staff, it cuts back on our safety and and security protocols, because if you're watching 100 plus inmates with two officers, that's dangerous. And it's everybody that's unsafe at yeah. that point. It's not just the imprisoned personnel. Yeah, we're definitely we're tasked with the with the health and safety of each offender. And it's hard to maintain those guidelines when you only have a few people to watch two, three hundred inmates in one area. It becomes very dangerous, you know. We had we house North Carolina houses some of the worst of the worst. At Granville Correctional, we had the H Kong, which is our supermax, the only supermax in the state, on top of our regular seg lock. What do you have to do to be in a supercon? In H Kong, usually it's it the most unmanageable or the most violent. Most most recently, mostly everybody in there either killed someone, they killed staff, they killed offenders, or they've assaulted seriously, or they're just management problems. Yeah. They tear up stuff, they're they break, they know how to escape so we keep all those away there yeah they need special management they need they have to be watched so you've seen the worst of it oh yeah I've, I've talked to some of the worst of the worst i've talked to some of the you know i've worked all levels of custody so i've seen the worst and i've seen the best well offenders that are being released that are met minimum custody they've went through the system they've done everything right and they've rehabilitated themselves so you know so you're a believer that rehabilitation is in fact possible oh, under the it right works. circumstances it works i've seen offenders that have done 15 20 years mm-hmm. that you know they work hard to go to classes and turn themselves around some of them have found you know religion and they turn to that but you know there's a lot of offenders who are making good strides yeah with, but only if the resources are there too. yeah and that's and that's a hard task because it's it's hard to implement resources with shortness of staff. Yeah. It's hard to give them the attention they need if you don't have the staff to fill the prisons or you have to shut the prisons down to pull staff that would be in those vocational areas or, you know, or those school areas just to make sure that we have enough to be safe. So I think oftentimes folks who work in the prisons feel like nobody's hearing them. Nobody's hearing how really hearing how bad it is, and something awful will happen. You know, we lost the lives of five people in the span of six months mm-hmm. a few years ago between Bertie and Pasquatank. Yes. When those were correctional personnel who lost their lives at the hand of an offender. And that is not to villainize offenders, but it's to say the job's dangerous. And at the end of the day, we actually finally saw exactly what can happen. And I know recently in California, there was the big incident where I think 200 inmates rushed an officer. What would you say to someone who has only been with the prison system for a couple of years and they're trying to figure out, are they going to stay? Would you encourage them to stay? And what kind of things do you think we could do to help turn this around? Usually staff like that, I usually point them in the direction of a mentor. I always tell staff when they come in, find a mentor. Find someone you can deal with, someone that you feel you can learn from. And everyone, we have different types of supervisors. Some are very strict, some of them are not so much. But I always tell staff, find someone knowledgeable, especially when you're new to the system, because it's a lot. The first, and I tell staff all the time, the first two years, it takes you two years to become a correctional officer. 
The first year, you're just figuring out what our routine is. When do we count? When do we eat? When do they go to here? When do they go to the dentist? When do they? It's, it's, and once you learn the routine, then you actually start to learn how to maneuver within that routine, how to get stuff done. You, you learn where everything are. What are the policies? What are the do's and don'ts with restraining? What offenders need to be restrained? Which ones need to have two or three staff? Because some offenders, you cannot pull out of their cell without three staff or a supervisor present because of some of them are predators. Some of them are just assaultive. So, well, what do you, I mean, your comments in the article, do you think the department is doing it? Who needs to do more? Is it the department? Is it the legislature? Is it, you know, who is it? I would say it's it's a mixture. The department, it, and, and they're trying to put band-aids on some of the bleeding, but it's just a more complex situation. You need the legislature to mandate better equipment, more money, just change how we do things. And the department has to be able to have that wiggle room to to, I don't know, mass hire, or I'm not sure how they can address it because this whole started years ago mm-hmm. when the policies changed, yeah. leadership changed. You know, one moment you have veteran staff who are used to doing it one way, then you have new leadership that changes how we do things. And the older staff doesn't simulate well, I would say. They don't, they're not able to convert to the new way. So most of them quit. Or leave or they retire because they have they have their time. They were just hanging on just to hang on. So as that started, then we changed our use of force policies. And now, you know, you have different philosophies within staff. You have some staff that believe in fixing the recidivism rate and rehabilitation. You have other staff, lock them away. They're criminals. So you also have philosophies in there. Yeah. So it's a lot to try to fix. <laughs> It is. So you can't just throw one thing at it and think, oh, that's going to make a difference. It's a lot. You got to work on the staff. You got to work on the offender mindset, create more programs. You just got to have. And at the end of the day, you got to have more people because without people, you can't without staff, you can't do anything. So let's talk a little bit about your your role in Scenic and how you got involved and how you can see Scenic helping in this area. So what what got you involved in Scenic first time? I was offered pizza. (laughs) <laughs> it might it might be that simple food is, food but, is um, often the motivator um, yeah my former warden james langston i was an officer then he you know he came in he was like you know i worked he said he liked how i worked he said you ever been to a senate meeting i was given an application and i signed up for senate and during that time you know i heard about all the things that senate did but i never been to a meeting so he said come on go to a meeting one day i said all right i'll go he said we got food <laughs> so i showed up and i enjoyed i saw the business and they were making motions and they were talking about things i never heard of in the state they were talking about things going on in other departments and i was going wow this is interesting by the end of the meeting i was a committee chair <laughs> so it works and i got voted in and i was like how did this happen? So I was like, fine, I'll serve on, you know, in the committee. And then over time, I, I moved around, tried to different positions. Next thing I know, I was the chair. And yeah. I was then I was entrenched. I was <laughs> going to the Board of Governors meetings. I was learning the importance of Scenic's role within state government and protecting the interests of all employees. And I was sold. Yeah. So, and so I guess now you've moved up into the, the leadership on the state level where you tackle maybe larger problems than at the district level. And maybe the prison issue is one of them. Where do you see your role now at Scenic? Well, I was blessed by my peers to be voted in as the first vice president before. 
before that, I served as the second vice. I've been on the executive committee. I've been on a lot of the different standing committees, like the planning statewide, as far as like membership, growth and expansion, merging leaders, communications. There's, there's so many committees we've had. But I actually, as I grew, I understood the needs of our membership. And I was, and I'm happy to be entrusted with their hopes that I lead, um, that I find ways to help us grow and protect their rights. Mm-hmm. Uh, my role right now, I am the planning committee chair, so I'm interested in planning Scenic's future over the next five years and create a, a, bun, a budget for the uh, association. So it's a pretty huge responsibility, understanding yeah. the needs and the wants and the infrastructure and just what do we need to do as an association to be to grow, but also to be streamlined mm-hmm. and to handle things efficiently and effectively. Okay. Well, I mean, what do you think can be done that's not being done to address the vacancy crisis other than pay people more? Or is there anything else? Well, it, it's also a respect thing. Showing your staff respect, showing that you value their opinions. And I know they're offering programs to kind of to get staff to buy in, but you have to make sure that you're showing because staff don't always do it because they're working long hours. I mean, they're burnt out. They're working. They're getting less days off. So they're not reading these memos you're sending out. They're not looking at you know, these videos that they don't have time. Right. Who wants to watch a video when you're hungry? You just fed a whole pod. You know, you got a good count time in 20 minutes. You want to get off your feet. Yeah. You know, so you, you're so it's hard to do that with prison staff. And now office staff, that's great. They got time to kind of peruse the Internet. You know, we have a hard time getting our training done, <laughs> let, yeah. let, let alone, you know, look at memos. I mean, we cover it in lineup, but it's it's just a lot of information. And it's hard to get to translate that to your staff in such a small period of time to brief them what's going on. But if on. you were king for a day, what would you do to fix Ooh, it? If I was king for king a day. King for a day. You could do anything you want to fix it. I would give I would give staff bonuses, especially my veterans. I would give them bonuses. I would have some of the upper echelon supervisors the ones that write these policies to come in and put on a uniform for a day mm, yeah, and, that'd be... <laughs> and to come in and really see the conditions and really see what it takes to implement what you want us to implement. And I said in an article, it's a chess game. You have to figure out what what's important, what must be done, because there's things that are mandated must happen. Every single day, this this must happen on top of the other things that are need to get done that are vital to the running of the institutions. So if I was like I said, if I was king, I would have everybody come in and work and just to see how it to see I, how it goes. I think there's a lot to that. And the same thing with legislators. They've been invited to prisons and many of them have taken folks up on that. And I know I see you smiling because I know the deal. It's obviously if any of us knows the boss is coming, we're cleaning up. Right. Like we're going to put our best foot forward. We're going to get everybody in the place that day. So I know that it's hard to ever get a realistic you know, view of what's going on somewhere. But it's better. It's better than nothing. I've been by your side when you were lobbying Congress on these issues and about men- mental wellness mm-hmm. uh, for that's the, that's for the big thing. The PSTD staff don't they don't realize how stressed they are and how traumatized you are. If you've never been in a, I've been in fires. I've seen offenders who have committed suicide. I've seen bodies. I've seen violent institutional violence where people were stabbed and you had to carry these offenders out. I've had to carry staff out of situations. So staff gets traumatized by these these instances and you have to go home after the shift's over. There's no one saying, you good? 
is uh, unless it's one of us. You have to go home to your family after seeing these things and smelling the blood and seeing the fire and smell. And it's it, it's ingrained in all your senses, and you have to debrief from that. And it's hard find it for staff to find ways to debrief without getting into you know alcohol abuse or because mm-hmm. it's you know something to for, try to forget. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, so what what keeps you going back to the well? I'm a different breed. I mean, I believe in the system. I'm a pretty even-keeled person. I've developed ways of wellness. I compartmentalize. I meditate. <laughs> I listen to soft music. And I spend yeah. time with my family and friends. And and I value my time away from the prison. I shut the prison off. As a supervisor, it's very hard because they still call me and mm-hmm. I get emails at home and I get called at home for, for various situations. But I try to, when I'm away from the prison, I just relax, breathe, get massages. You know, you have to do that for your mental health. Yeah. You have to find that happy place because if you don't, it, you you build up that stress. And I've seen staff crack under pressure and it's, it's not mm-hmm. good. Yeah. It's not good for their families or yeah. the community. Yeah, I know we did a kind of a report on prison safety a few years back. And one of the most impactful stats I saw was the life expectancy for correctional officers was like 58 years mm-hmm. old. Yeah, 58. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, most, most correctional staff die within three years of retirement. That's just That's, incredible. Yes. Yeah, this is a really, it, it's a topic that people need to know about. It's not pleasant to hear about, but it's something people need to know about because we all rely on the folks in the system to keep it, to keep it running. I know that we were at a conference together and that was written about in the story you were in the other day in the media about the families and friends of offenders who were looking out for their rights. One of the, I think it's one of the first times I remember seeing it being invited to something like that. Because people are starting to get it, that if you have, if vacancies get so bad that you're just bringing anybody in to fill a job, that's not good for anybody. But uh, yeah, staff, they don't care. They right. Want, yes, they're getting money and that's what they're working towards to get to make that paycheck. But they're not buying into this is a person you're taking care of. Yeah. They're going through the motions. Yeah. If you're responsible for somebody's life and you're also responsible for your coworkers' lives. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we started to hear years ago, not long before Pasquotank. I don't know. There's some they're hiring that I don't know if they would have my back. Yeah. You know, and that's a big I can't even imagine that. They don't they don't know if they're trained to, well enough to to have your back. Yeah. Well, and and also you get into the the situation of their moral codes. I mean, if you if you just hire someone who wants money, they don't care. They're not they care about themselves, but they're not necessarily caring about you. They're not coming there because they know they have a, a duty or a job to do. They're there just cut their check and as long as I can clip it without doing the, the most the least amount of work, that's fine. But that's dangerous because you're not watching as hard as you should be. You're not aware of what you should be. You're just kind of going through the motion with your head down so you can get out of there at the end of the day and get paid. And that's a perfect segue to talk about the privatization of prisons who do that on a, a macro level, right? A, a larger a private company coming in to, that doesn't really yeah. care about the public service, right? And the- Well, I mean, they may be very proud about how well they do their job. But I think one of the things when we looked at years ago, the legislature actually considered the maintenance 
privatizing the maintenance function in the prisons. And it was really a concern of some folks that, wait a minute, if somebody leaves a screwdriver behind, for goodness sakes, that's going to become a weapon. And Mm -hmm. people who know me and my family are probably going to be that much more vigilant about not leaving a screwdriver behind, about being so aware of their surroundings. And that's always stuck with me, remembering hearing that 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 was in their that was one of their concerns. Do they know me and my family and do they care about us? Mm-hmm. And I think that's the biggest thing that staff actually want to know. Do people really care about, you know, because as correctional staff, we care about each other and we always work to make sure we're all good. But it's hard to see that if the outside really understands and cares about we're working that hard and we're doing all these, we're burning ourselves out and giving to the state openly and willfully. And it's like, it's not translating. It's like they don't pay attention to it. They say, yeah, great job. Can you do it again tomorrow? <laughs> yeah. What about the next day? So, but, so, but when do they get a break? When do they, get, when, when is there that buffer that says, hey, get a couple of days off? Good can't because the work right. has to get done. Well, Captain Pell, I know you care. Too. And thank you for, thank you for being such an outspoken voice for your colleagues and the scenic members. And for scenic. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was a wonderful interview. I really enjoyed talking to you, and uh, I think our listeners will as well. Well, thank you for letting me be here, and that's what I'm here for. That You know, I'm here to show the next generations that you can work hard and have a moral compass. You can do the right thing. You know, you don't have to put your head down. Speak out. It's okay. Mm-hmm. You know, do what you do. What's right? Because when you do what's right, you save. You will save somebody. I, I'm not truly believe that we can save the state. Yeah. So we're back from the, the interview. That was a great interview with Wendell. He's very eloquent about his prison and the situation there in the prisons. He definitely, he's a good storyteller in so many ways of, of actually letting you know what's inside somebody's mind when they're trying to figure out how to make all of that work with yeah. very little. So both of us have been here, a lot, you've been here longer than I have, but we've both run into situations where we've been asked by reporters to get uh, correctional officers to speak about mm-hmm. these problems. And it's it's very hard. It's very hard to find someone willing to speak. Yeah. And, and there is some fear involved. In well, and I think there's, you know, there's just kind of a code of sorts that you don't really, to be clear, that code, according to a lot of our members who are correctional officers or correctional personnel, that code is leading to a growing mental health crisis in people working in the prisons. And there's um, a report put out by a group called One Voice, I Am Not Okay. Yeah. And it, because it's very, I mean, culturally, if you work in a prison, you're supposed to be so tough that nothing affects you. And yet you see some of the most awful things there are to see. And I, I'm so glad that There are people speaking out, doing things like Wendell is doing to say, hey, a lot of what we see is very difficult to deal with. And sometimes we're not okay. Yeah. So he he did a great job of that. So uh, on to maybe a little fun or topic. What did you do this weekend? Anything cool? (laughs) <laughs> no, I never. I never do anything. But the Grammys were on. Oh, that was very oh, cool. Yeah, I watched the Grammys. That was awesome. Taylor won her fourth. But most was it? You, you have a little girl, so I bet you the T-Swift moment was a big one in oh, your house. Yeah. yeah. See, I have to I tease her because I, I tell her that I'm a Olivia Rodrigo fan. So I tell her she, <laughs> Does it upset her? Yeah. <laughs> okay. She's like, Taylor's so much better. What are you talking about? Yeah. Right. I mean, what a lightning rod. Taylor Swift has become in the American psyche. But for 
old folks like me, it was a huge moment last night to see Tracy Chapman back on stage performing Fast Car Live. And how much cooler could it be that she's doing it with an App State fella? There you go. You got one of those, right? I've got an App State fella of my own. But yeah, (laughs) seeing Luke Combs up there was Yeah, that song is awesome. And I've always been a fan of that song. I think everybody is. But then to hear him remake it. Yeah, the, and not the fact change that, much. Yeah, so. well, she wanted him to keep it. Yeah, pretty much the same, and he he stuck to that. And they were, I mean, they're both incredible songwriters. Was, I I think it was just a great moment. Yeah, that was awesome. And this is our shameless plug to get the Swifties to to listen to our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> well, if we could, apparently, we would have more listeners, right? Yeah, we, there there gonna, are a bunch of them, I think. We're going to put it in our keywords, Taylor Swift. Do it. Hashtag so. that. <laughs> okay, so we always end with like a. a kind of off-the-wall question. In honor of something that Wendell said about he wishes more legislators came to visit the prisons, let's take a little spin on that thought. What's a, maybe not your favorite place to visit, but your favorite, the most impactful state agency that you've been to in your time at Scenic? Years ago, when there was an issue over whether or not there would be closure of the schools for the deaf, Mm -hmm. I think that Suzanne, our government relations director, and I went and visited the school in Wilson and the school in Morganton. And it was it was one of the most profound experiences I've had in this job that that the work being done there was so vital. I always thought, well, you know, if they close them, if we're if we're not able to win this battle and those schools end up closing, I guess they mainstream the students. Well, those students had already been mainstream. Failed. The mainstreaming failed these students, and they were there for multiple reasons. Anyway, that school, those schools were um, something that will always stand out to me. Yeah, I've heard you and Suzanne talk about that on. Oh yeah, we'll never forget it. Yeah, I think for me, I grew up about seven miles from the NC Zoo, and when I started here at Scenic, I didn't know that that was a state agency. You know, you don't think Mm-mm. about that yeah. as a kid. It's just so, a thing. <laughs> so all the times that we've had to kind of work with employees there, visit, do videos, that was it's always been really awesome. Just because I grew up go- going there so much. And then I think it was 2015, there was talk of privatizing it. And it was fun to wa- to work with those employees to, you know, bring up to support them and to advocate for them. Absolutely. I mean, it's a world class zoo. Yeah, it's the largest natural habitat zoo in the world. Yeah, from what I understand. So. It's an amazing place and we're blessed to have it. Well, that'll do us do it for us this week. Hopefully we'll get a lot of listeners this time. Maybe we'll top 200 this week. I hope so. In the meantime, y'all keep doing what you do. We appreciate it.